You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver, and the gold all together were broken into pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell you, the king, its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hands he has given, whatever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And, you, and as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be of divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, they shall mix with one another in marriage, but they shall not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw, that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God, the God, of the, the God of gods and Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the providence of Babylon. 
but Daniel remained at the king's court. Thank you, Jennifer. So family, we have a, a pretty dense text to go through this evening, and it's going to be, um, we're going to learn some things as we go through it. It's going to be a look at some ancient kings and ancient kingdoms. It's going to be a look at some biblical imagery and biblical symbols. And so I just wanted to give you a heads up that we're going to go after these things that are unfamiliar to us, and we're going to see what God's word has to say and see how he'll powerfully communicate it to us through this text. Now, I want to catch us up to where we're at in the story. Give us a little bit of context so that we remember where we're coming from. I want to give us a broader story of the Bible. And then I also want to catch us up to where we're at in the story of Daniel. So if we rewind just a little bit in the Bible, we find God's people in slavery in the nation of Egypt. They are a nation who is a slave in someone else's land. And our God graciously brings them out of the land of Egypt, brings them through the wilderness, and puts them in the promised land where he takes care of them and provides for them and protects for them and even lives with them. And said, this will go on forever and I'll expand this kingdom through the world if you only obey me. And they do anything but that. So often, like we can often do, they disobey God. And yet they do it again and again. And generation after generation, God sends prophets. He sends judgments to try to get them to repent and come back to them. And they just won't do it. Until he sends the kingdom of Babylon to come and take Israel out of the land. To be slaves in a foreign land. And we find ourselves at this point in the story where I began. God's people are slaves in a land that is not their own. Their sin brought them back to where they were at the start. And my conclusion as I think through this story would be, well, God must be done working with these people, right? Like they had their chance. They blew it. They're back in slavery. It's over. And as we read the book of Daniel, we find exactly the opposite. God doesn't stop working through his people. He doesn't stop taking care of them. He doesn't stop revealing his plan to them. He does it through a young man named Daniel. Daniel is a man who went through great, great suffering. His beloved homeland was ripped to shreds and destroyed. He was brought over, and they ended up being a servant who served the king who destroyed his homeland. And to this young man, God is going to do great things, and through him, he's going to do great things. The first chance that God really starts to raise him up and use him is when this wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream. And he wants to know what it means because he feels like his kingdom is threatened. And so what he does is he starts to threaten all his wise men, of whom Daniel is one of them, saying, you must tell me this dream and the interpretation, or I'm going to kill all of you. It's an awful boss to have. He's worse than your boss, I promise you that. So Daniel, he begins praying at this moment with his friends. And this is the first moment where we see God break through. 
He comes and he not only shows Daniel the dream, he shows him the interpretation as well. And that's what Pastor Daniel, not to be confused with the book of Daniel, Pastor Daniel preached about last week. Is that Daniel prayed for this revelation. He has a vision where he sees the king's dream. He knows the interpretation. He talks to the executioner and says, I need to see the king before me and before several others are put to death. And the executioner has, is able to bring Daniel in before the king. That's where we find ourselves this evening. That's where we're at in the story. This captive teenager, this slave, is standing before the most powerful man in the world who has signed his death warrant. But his God had spoken to him. And he is about to address this man with the words that God spoke to him. So let's see what it is, this dream that God showed Nebuchadnezzar and this vision of its interpretation that he showed to Daniel. We'll see in verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and its arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver and the gold all came together and were broken in pieces and became like shaft of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that a trace of them could be found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. What did God show this king? In his dream, he showed him a stone that smashes an image, turns the image to dust, and then that stone transforms into a mountain that fills the whole world. And my first question is, what in the world is that all about? And what we're entering into together is the world of biblical imagery and symbolism. This is very strange to us, a very strange type of literature. This would not have been strange to God's people. The Bible is filled with images like this. Very simply put, we serve a creative God who loves to communicate to his people in creative ways. And he uses this symbolism and imagery to engage our emotions, to engage our minds and hearts in ways that simply telling us wouldn't. And the point, friends, is that this imagery, this symbolism, is not less real than our world. It's more real. It's pointing to the things that are most real. It's pointing to true things about God, true things about you, true things about the world. The point is that we go into this world of biblical imagery, see what's true, and then come back and live here with greater conviction, greater courage, greater faithfulness. God wants to use this image, these symbols, these visions to transform you to be more like Jesus so that we can live with greater faithfulness in this world. When you know what is real, when you see what is real, then you can do what God wants you to do. And so thankfully, 
as we interpret and see what these images mean, they're meant to change us and not leave anyone the same. So how are we going to interpret them? How are we going to interpret these images? Well, thankfully, Daniel does a lot of the work for us. So we're not just making guesses. And also, God wrote a whole book. And the book, other places, help us interpret places that we're going through. So we're going to take a look at this passage, and we're going to take a look at a few other passages, and we're going to try to discern what it is that God wants Nebuchadnezzar to know, what he wants us to know, and what he wanted the Jews to know in that day. Verse 36. This was the dream. And now we will tell the king its interpretation. So since Daniel knew the dream, without anyone telling him, it's a sign that his interpretation is from God and authoritative. This truth that we're about to hear from Daniel is from God and it's authoritative. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom... The God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whom hands he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the fields, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Okay. It's very clear. Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold on the statue. God has made him king. He didn't make himself king. We need to remember that right now. In our world, where we have so little trust in our rulers, and they act so faithlessly, no one rules unless God lets them rule. Our God is in control of who's in control. He's in control of Nebuchadnezzar, who was a very bad man, and yet he was only there because God let him be, and just for a little bit. God gave him the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory. And he gave him authority over other people. He gave him authority over animals and birds. That's an interesting detail, isn't it? He gave him authority over animals and birds. If you think for a moment, God gave someone else authority over animals and birds in the Bible. And if we go back to the very beginning of the scriptures, we see that God gave Adam authority over the birds and the animals. I think the point is that God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to rule like Adam did before the fall. He wanted him to be a good king. And what we see God do in the garden is he authors and preserves life in other people. That's his vision for what a king looks like. Authoring and preserving life in other people. You care about others, you serve others, you give life to others. That is how he wanted Nebuchadnezzar to rule. That's how he wants every other ruler to rule. And then we need to ask the question, well, did he rule like that? The answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. In the last chapter, when his wise men could not tell him the dream right away, what did he tell them to do? Is rip them apart, right? Animals rip people apart. So just think of the distortion, the inversion, the decay in God's creation. God made Nebuchadnezzar to rule over the animals. But when he proudly exalts himself and tries to be like God and disregards God, he becomes like an animal. 
And that is the exact same thing that happens to you and me. When we exalt ourselves and try to be proud and try to rule over other people and control other people, we start to act like animals. It's a sad fact of having a fallen heart and a fallen flesh. And we see the same point. He says, you are the head of gold. So if you look back at verse 31, he says, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. Image. The word image comes from the book of Genesis as well. God said, let us make man in our... That's right. Male and female, he created them in the image of God. So what Nebuchadnezzar is... And we look at this image in this text. We see that it's a mighty image. It's bright, so it's very powerful and wealthy. But it's also frightening. That's a word that means disturbing. That's a word that means frightful. So Nebuchadnezzar is a distorted version of the image of God. He takes life instead of giving life. He's cruel and he hurts people instead of helping people. What this image represents is what we become when we try to set up our lives and set up our kingdoms without God's help. It's what happens when the rulers of the world do it. It's what happens when we do it. Things become distorted. Things become ugly. And we hurt and we're cruel to other people. So let's see what else Daniel has to say about this statue. He says, And another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze shall rule over all the earth. So we got the head of gold. That's Babylon. What comes next is a torso of silver. Daniel says that this is a kingdom that comes after the head of gold. What's beneath that is a midsection of bronze. And what's underneath that, which we'll soon get to, is legs of iron. So as we read through the book of Daniel, as we read through history, what we discover is that the head is Babylon, the torso, the chest, is the kingdom of Persia that comes after the kingdom of Babylon. Next, the the bronze represents the kingdom of the Greeks, and the legs of iron represent the Roman Empire. What is this teaching us? What, what, what does Daniel want us to know? He says the kingdom that comes after it is inferior. It's an inferior kingdom. In what way is it inferior? What we see in history is that in these successive empires, each one becomes increasingly more brutal and more cruel than the last one. What we see is a descent in the value of the materials, a descent down the body, What it's doing is it's painting a picture of what the human life is like without God. This is what my life is like without God. This is what your life is like without God. This is what happens in the kingdoms of the earth without God. There's a descent downward towards cruelty and inhumaneness. And when you read history, the ways that the Greeks treated the Jewish people when they occupied their land, it's barbaric. It's atrocious. And then the Romans, they're worse still. They invented crucifixion. They fed our brothers and sisters to animals in the Colosseum. The Roman Empire was a 
brutal and callous kingdom. This image is a sobering image. It's a convicting image. It's supposed to remind us, you and me, what we become apart from God. One thing that I need God to do is open my eyes to who I am apart from him. This is what happens when we don't have his influence in our life. We become more and more cruel to other people, just like Nebuchadnezzar and all of these kingdoms. And you might say to me, Ross, I've never tried to tear someone's arm off like Nebuchadnezzar did. That's that's good. That's good. That's not socially acceptable in our culture. But what is socially acceptable in our culture is a kind of emotional and relational cruelty that I find in myself I tend to respond to other people with. Here's a question I want you to ask yourself right now. Who is the person you have the least patience with right now? Who is the person you have the least patience with right now? That will be the person you're tempted to be the most cruel to right now. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had no patience for his wise men, and he was ready to rip them apart. And I find in myself a tendency to not work with other people who exacerbate me, but try to get away from them, to isolate myself from them, or else to punish them in some way. And the thought struck me that for us as a church, family, we need to remember to be patient with one another. If we're not, we'll end up being cruel to each other, and we'll end up collapsing this just like this kingdom did. Praise God he saved us, but let us never take for granted that he saved us. Let us never keep fighting for holiness and trying to be like him. Let us always remember that that old man, that old distorted image is still in us. And that apart from his help, I won't treat you better than Nebuchadnezzar treated Daniel, and you won't do the same for me. What this image shows us is our great need for God. We need him. We need him to care for one another like he wants us to. And to care for unbelievers like he wants us to. I don't know if I've been hurt or sinned against as bad by people I've been ministering to. I don't know if anyone's ever hurt me as bad as people that I've tried to love. And how am I going to respond like God wants me to and not like my flesh wants me to? That's what's at stake in this text. How are we going to respond well to other people when they hurt us? And then we read in verse 40, and there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these And as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay." 
So evidently, this kingdom of Rome is a great focus in this vision. One point that it makes is that it's a mixed kingdom. It's part iron and part clay. In other words, it rests on a corrupt foundation. All the kingdoms rest on this corrupt foundation. You see the image of the statue? One point that gets made in these six verses again and again and again is that it has a corrupt foundation. The point is, is that the pride that these kingdoms show will bring about their own destruction. They are temporary kingdoms. They are not eternal kingdoms. The kingdoms of the world are temporary kingdoms. They are not eternal kingdoms. This nation is not an eternal kingdom. It's a temporary kingdom. The gods of sex, money, and power do not have eternal kingdoms. They have temporary kingdoms. Let us search our hearts right now. Which kingdom are you having allegiance to? That is not the kingdom of God. It is coming to an end. It is coming to a close. It will not last. If you think money will satisfy you, if you think power will satisfy you, if you think sex will satisfy you, it won't. If you think any cause, any purpose, any organization will satisfy you, it won't. Right now, the world seems powerful. The world seems like it's in control. The world seems like it will last forever. And friends, it won't. It won't. Look at how these kingdoms fell one after the other, one after the next. Daniel, at the moment he faced Nebuchadnezzar, it probably looked like Nebuchadnezzar was going to be king forever. And his kingdom ended overnight. Overnight. He didn't expect it. And an army snuck in his city and he was dead like that. And I don't mean to be too much of a downer, but our lives can end just like that. Like that. Today could be your last moment. Your last church service. Your last chance to repent. Your last chance to know the Lord Jesus. Your last chance to turn from sin. So family, I just want to re-encourage us to turn freshly to the gospel today. Freshly to Jesus. Freshly to Christ. This world is passing away. It's temporary. It's crumbling. And it will not endure. And Christ and what he has for you will endure forever. And then in the next verse, we see the most amazing thing that happens ever in the history of our world. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. If you're following Jesus today, friend, you belong to a kingdom that will never end. It will never end. You will never end. The kingdom will never end. God will never stop taking care of you. One thought that struck me is that this vision must have been for the sake of encouraging so many Jewish people who would have been so discouraged at this moment. So discouraged. Every, their whole lives would have been torn apart. Their families torn apart. And God's telling them, I have a kingdom for you that's going to last forever. I know a lot of you are suffering right now, a lot. I know you are suffering. 
Other people are cruel to you. This life is cruel to you. And God's word of comfort to you is he's building a kingdom and he's going to take care of you forever. He wants you to have hope. I'm not trying to be someone whipping up panic or any kind of frenzy, but we can feel this nation start to come apart, can't we? We can feel it happening right now. And it creates anxiety, and it creates fear, and it creates senses of loneliness. And we have truth here to give us hope and encouragement. God wants you to be a hopeful, encouraged person. You have more than enough reason to be the most hopeful and encouraging person all your neighbors have ever met. All your coworkers have ever met. May we be a family of hope and confidence in Christ because he's promised us a kingdom and he always keeps his promises. We can look in history and watch these kingdoms fall one after the other, after the other, after the other, just like he said, and his kingdom will last forever. Verse 45. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that in broken pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. And if we go back to verse 35, but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. God wants to teach us right now about what his kingdom is like. This imagery is a little complicated, but it's really beautiful. And God's trying to talk to us through it. So in the Bible, mountains symbolize kingdoms. A kingdom and a mountain are symbols that represent each other. So God cuts a stone from one mountain, that's one kingdom, sends it to another place, crushes an image, and turns it into a mountain so it becomes another kingdom. The first mountain, the first kingdom, is the kingdom of heaven. The stone is Christ. Christ comes and establishes a new kingdom, and that kingdom becomes a mountain. The point that this imagery is getting across is that the stone is unimpressive. It starts off small. It starts off insignificant. It starts off as disregarded. If you were to see the image, this bright image, and this little stone, which one would you be tempted to worship? Which one would you be tempted to fall down before? The image or the stone? The answer is our hearts want to go after the image of success and power and wealth, whereas the stone looks unimpressive. But as Christ came into the world, he came in an unimpressive way. He came in a little town to nobodies and didn't do anything spectacular until he was 33 years old. But friends, then he did the most exciting thing, the most spectacular thing in the history of the world. He died for my sin. He died for your sin. He died for the sins of anyone who would trust in him. And open wide a door for anyone to join his kingdom. He crushed these kingdoms by providing a way out from under their influence and authority and into his influence and authority. Out from their destructive power and into his life-giving power. This little stone that no one expected to triumph, triumphed. And that's why we have life today, church. This stone that no one expected 
to crush this image, crush this image. And that's why we have life today. And what we're looking forward to is the day this stone becomes a mountain. One day it will be more impressive than you could ever imagine. What you are waiting for is a kingdom that's more impressive than anything that you could ever imagine. Even right now, the church is filling the earth. Right now, this kingdom is filling the earth. Iran is an evil country, and I have nothing against Iran. I just want to say that there's a lot of evil countries in the world, and this, they, the people are good, but the rulers are bad, is what I'm trying to say. It is a place where they have rulers like the people we see in this book. And yet, at this moment, as I speak, the church is growing faster there than just about anywhere else in the world. Anywhere else in the world. They cannot stop the church from growing there because no one can stop this kingdom from filling the world. No one can stop this mountain from growing and expanding. And this is just the start. This is just the start. When we get to the end of the scriptures and the end of the Bible, what does the book of Revelation say? In Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Christ has come, and Christ will come again. And when he comes again, all of the empty promises and empty authority of these earthly kingdoms will be exposed, and only his kingdom will reign forever, and all of us who have trusted in him the stone will strike the image and become a mountain, and no one can stop that from happening because our Lord has spoken it. And a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Now, how is this king going to respond? Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. And commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods, and Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. How does King Nebuchadnezzar respond to Daniel? How does he respond to God? This is it, church. Is this what your heart posture is before God? Have you surrendered all to him? He has great purposes for this church. He has great purposes for you. And none of those happen until we're humble before him. Nothing will stop God's purposes for your life like our own pride. This pagan king sets an example for us. He unashamedly humbles himself before God. And my question for you is, what area of your life have you not fully trusted God? What area of life are you disobeying him or not doing what you know he wants you to do? My call to you right now is to humble yourself before him. Let's humble ourselves before him together. 
Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many gifts and made him ruler over the whole prince of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. We have a picture here of how God takes care of his people. If you suffer for his plan, if you suffer for him, when your life is over, or maybe even at some point in this life, he'll lift you up. He'll take care of you. He'll lift you up higher than you can lift yourself up. He'll lift you up higher than this world can lift you up. Daniel had to suffer so much, and yet God take care of him so well. And what my hope for us is that as we suffer in obeying and surrendering to God, he would lift us up so high. Not the way the world lifts up people, to stroke their pride, but he would lift us up in a way that make us more humble and more thankful to him and all that he's given us. One thing that affected me as I read this text is that what God did through Daniel with King Nebuchadnezzar, he wants to do through each one of us. That's what I mean by that. Daniel saw the plan of God for the world. He saw the plan of God. We have seen the plan of God. Christ has come, and Christ will come again. You know the plan every bit as much as Daniel knew the plan. And just as he called him to go before Nebuchadnezzar and boldly and humbly and lovingly share this plan, he has called you to the exact same task on a daily and weekly basis. One last challenge, one last call I have for our church is that all of us together would feel a calling to share the plan of God with people we meet on a daily and weekly basis. That we wouldn't have a category for, I am someone who knows God who is not a witness for God. He wants to use us to share this plan with other people so that they might be humbled, so that they might be saved, that they might be brought into the kingdom just like us. And one final word I have is that if you're listening to me right now, and wondering, how can I be a part of this kingdom? Is it just for people who are good? Just for people who have trusted God? Just for people who have obeyed God? The answer is, anyone can join if you trust in Jesus. Anyone. You can join if you trust in Jesus. He lived and suffered and died so that anyone can come who trusts in Jesus. And so if you don't know him yet, please do not leave this room without knowing him. Please do not leave this place without coming to him and joining this kingdom. The main point that I want us to walk away with today is that we have a sovereign God who has shown us his plan so that we might have hope and share that hope with others. It's the kind of life he wants us to live. pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this word. 
Thank you for this text. Thank you for showing Daniel these things. Lord, I ask that we would be as humble as he is. And that we would become humble like you made Nebuchadnezzar humble in this moment. Let us not become proud. Let us not become haughty. Thank you for what Jesus has finished and what Jesus has accomplished for us so that we might just rest and trust in you. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.